Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from the God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? I should say that slightly different. Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but later you'll understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. We're stopping there today, <laughs> even though that's kind of smack in the middle of this episode. Because this episode is so full, so full. I think there's a party going on in hell these days. I think the devil and his crew are having a good time. The devil's goal can be summarized in one word, alienation. The devil sought to do when he, in the form of the serpent, spoke to Eve was to alienate Adam and Eve from God. And consequently, from each other. We might say, 
That was a day of celebration for the devil. And in the world today, I think we can see alienation on the rise. This is just my opinion. People are not exhibiting understanding toward each other. In fact, many of us are refusing understanding to other people. The church, about the same as the world on this scale. This is, again, just my point of view. People are angry. People see people who disagree with them about this or that as their enemy. This is a success of alienation. And the devil celebrates all successful alienation. That is his goal. If he had his way, every last one of us would wind up in the isolation of eternal hell. What is hell about hell is it is alienation in extreme. It is complete separation from God and consequently from every other person. I would want to ask you, try not to participate. Now, why am I talking about this? Because Jesus is the reverser of alienation. You can summarize the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with one word. What is good about the good news? One word, reconciliation. What Jesus does is reverse Adam's alienation from God. He reconciles us to God. And because we are reconciled to God, consequently, we are reconciled with one another. As it says in Ephesians chapter 2, he reconciled us together in one new man and together reconciled us to God by the blood of the cross. This is the achievement of Jesus. Reconciliation. Jesus wins this battle. So again, I ask you, try not to participate on the other side. Try to be an exhibition of reconciliation and not alienation. Try to extend understanding even to people you don't like or don't agree with. Now, 
again, you might ask me, why am I talking about this? This story is, this is John chapter 13. What we have going on in John chapter 13 is the Passover feast, the Last Supper. And I just want to remind you, it's Thursday in Holy Week. What happens tomorrow? And the scripture here tells us that Jesus was very aware of that reality. And by the way, I just want to get in our heads again the short time span we're dealing with. What happened on Sunday? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. And of course, we've talked about things that have now happened in the meantime. And now Jesus has hidden himself from the nation. And he is now, this is the Last Supper. And he is with his disciples. He is not with everyone. And what we have in the book of John now is what's called the upper room discourse. Well, whether it starts here or, you know, halfway through the chapter, people argue about that. The conversation of Jesus with his close friends and followers the night before he was condemned. The night before he died. Jesus is aware. He is about to be lifted up. (laughs) I just want us all to notice all these ironies in the book of John. In the case of Jesus, to be lifted up is to be taken down. To be exalted is to be executed. To be glorified is to die. Now, John says, his hour had come to depart out of this world. And then he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He has been loving them and he is going to continue to love them more To the end, you could say it like this, to the uttermost. It will not be possible for anyone to be loved more than he will love these people. He is absolutely completing, perfecting love from here. And this is like a title for the rest of the book of John. From here to the end of the book, this is what Jesus is doing. He is loving them to the end. No one can be as thoroughly loved as Jesus will love these through what he does in these remaining chapters. And so what follows then is step one in this great exhibit of the love of Christ. 
During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he's repeating himself. He wants us to notice that Jesus was very well aware of all this. What's the devil up to? Well, the same thing he's always up to, disrupting fellowship, bringing alienation, separating friend from friend, killing the Savior. That's what he's up to. And Jesus knows some things here I want you to notice, that the Father has given all things into his hand, Everything is in the hands of Jesus, and we're talking about God, so when we say everything, we mean everything. It is now on him. Everything is in his hands. Jesus has a mission, of course, and we know what that was. It's up to him now. That's what that says. Everything is in his hands. The Father's given him everything. And we know, because Jesus says it time after time after time in the book of John, whatever the Father gives him is what he is about. And he says, knowing also he had come from God and was going back to God. He was the sent one. He's the returning one. We could even say that the way this, the tense of this verb, knowing, is kind of causal. It's kind of like saying this, because he knows, he does what he does. Because he knows everything is in his hands and that he came from God and he's going back to God, because knowing that, he what? He gets up. He gets up from the table. He gets up to step down. Here's what you would learn if you looked at the New Testament to find out about Jesus. You'd learn it in Philippians chapter 2. You'd learn it in that text from Matthew 20. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Well, that is out of order, my friends. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is not to serve. He is to be served. And yet, he doesn't do it that way. And he even says, look, you know the world. That's how the world does it. That is not how we do it. We do not lord The Lord does not Lord. He gets up to step down. And he is going all the way down. No one has been humbled as humble as Jesus was humbled. He is beneath the human race in his sacrifice on the cross. 
He gets up and he steps down. How do we see him step down? I want you to imagine somebody who's very important coming to visit you in your home. The king, the president, I don't care who it is. Somebody you think is very, very important. Maybe a super rich, famous person. I don't know. Maybe your mother-in-law. Very important person. And I want you to imagine sitting down to dinner with that person. And maybe you've eaten and they get up. You think, what are they getting up? Well, they get up and they go into your bathroom. But they're not in there going to the bathroom or washing their hands. What they've gone in there to do is clean your toilets. Imagine the king coming to your house and going into your WC and cleaning the WC. That's what's going on here. Only multiply it by a thousand. Because we're not just talking about the king. We're talking about the king of kings. The son of man, Messiah, the one we Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And all these guys agree. Hosanna, Hosanna. All these guys know him to be the king, the king of Israel, the vindicating savior. That's who they know him to be. And he stands up from dinner and takes off his nice outer garment and gets a tub and fills it with water and goes to somebody, Andrew maybe, kneels down and washes his feet. Well, let me tell you, this is like someone coming into your house and cleaning your bathroom. Or whatever you think of is the most humble. The, The task you would reserve only for the slave you liked the least. It is not even an honorable activity for a slave. Dealing with these feet. That's what Jesus does. He gets up, but he steps down. And he's going from disciple to disciple, humbling. I can imagine them all like, what is going on? This is utterly out of order. You know what Jesus said in that text we read from Matthew? You know how the Gentiles act. That's not how we act. This is a pretty good demonstration of what he was talking about. The Lord, the commander, the king, is stepping beneath people who are beneath him. And there isn't a human being in the whole universe that isn't beneath Jesus. And yet, he serves them. And he does this, you know, menial, menial thing. Well... 
I can see him, he's going around the room and he's coming to Peter. Well, we all know Peter, kind of, and we think, well, Peter, he says what's on his mind. You never have to wonder where Peter's at emotionally. And I can imagine him getting more and more disturbed by this out-of-order behavior on the part of Jesus. What, is, what are you doing? That is not right. And Peter is right. It is not right that the king of kings is washing the feet of a middle-class fisherman. It is out of order. So when he comes to Peter, Peter says, are you really going to wash my feet? And Jesus gives him kind of an interesting answer. He says, well, I know you don't get it right now, but later you'll understand. And that is utterly true. Later he did understand. But he doesn't buy it now. And Jesus says, you'll, you'll understand later. And Peter says, no. No. This is not right. No. I will not allow it. And the way this sentence works, he says, I will not allow it and I will never allow it. There is not a circumstance in which Messiah should wash my feet, in which the Savior should wash my feet. You're the living God, which we know Peter recognized by this time. No. And how does Jesus respond to that? He looks Peter dead in the eye and he says, look, if I don't wash you, you're out. <laughs> if I don't wash you, you have no share. You know, in the story where John and James' mother comes to Jesus. She's a good mom. She says, hey, Jesus, do me a favor. He says, what do you need? He says, she says, let James and John be on your right and left hand in your kingdom, which everyone thinks at the time is about to happen. And uh, yeah, so she says, let James and John. And Jesus says, it's not mine to give, but uh, you've got things upside down. This is the kingdom of stepping down, not rising above. This, my friends, is the kingdom of stepping down, not rising above. It is upside down. It does not make sense unless you know the love of Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, 
Peter says, no, I, you cannot do that. It is wrong, wrong, wrong. I can't think of all the level. It's insulting to me that you, these other guys let you do it. And Jesus says, he looks him dead in the eye, and he says, if I don't, you are out. That is breathtaking. That is breathtaking. If I don't, you are out. You have no share. Now, that's where we stopped. Of course, next time we're going to talk about how Peter responded to that. And he did his normal kind of, okay then, I'm all in. And uh, we have to save that for next time. Here's the thing about the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is humbling. The Lord God Almighty, the Son, the Eternal One, the only begotten, the beloved One of God, humbles Himself in our presence. And if that doesn't bring you with Him, you haven't seen it. It's humbling. What's wrong, Peter Peter has to humble himself to deal with the humility of Christ. How does Christ respond to what's wrong with the world? Now, what everyone expected of Christ was he would respond like kings respond. He would come into the world and set everything straight by the sheer authority that he possesses. But Jesus isn't just about putting things right. He isn't about improving our moral politics. He is about reconciling us to the living God. So how does he respond to the, what's wrong with the world? He puts himself under it. <laughs> it's breathtaking. It is so wrong. He puts himself under it. He gets himself on a Roman cross. There isn't a lower place. And here in the fellowship of the disciples, he takes the place of servant of all. And if we were paying attention to what he said all through the Gospels, this isn't surprising because he says the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve to seek and to save that which was lost. He steps down. He exhibits love. He serves. He gives up position. This is just the mere fact that he's present in the flesh on the earth is already that. 
as we read in Philippians chapter 2, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he let it go and humbled himself and became one of us, a man. And as a man, he humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself. He is always stepping down until he gets on the cross of Calvary. This is how he deals with what's wrong with the world. He steps down. He gives up position. He makes grace real. Grace, grace, grace. I am not treating you like you should be treated. I'm forgiving sin. I'm bringing you back from alienation. He makes grace real. He reconciles us in the blood of his cross. And he says to us, we don't Deal with what's wrong with the world the way the world deals with what's wrong with the world. We don't do it that way. We are not about exercising power over someone else. Quite the opposite. And I know this is troublesome and frankly, in the mind of the flesh, makes no sense at all. And Jesus is leading us. Later in this text, he's going to say, I did this to give you an example of how you should behave. Stepping down. We're going to have to wrap this up fast. It's going to rain. Stepping down. And I want you to think about your relationships in this world. Where are your opportunities to put yourself under someone else? But before I say that, the central question of this text is the question Jesus asks Peter. Well, he doesn't ask, he says it. If I don't serve you, you're out. You have no part. Who are the people who have a part in Christ? The people Christ serves. And if you try to serve him before he serves you, You're out. If you try to serve him without him serving you, eh, no. The grace of God in Christ is the thing itself. What we have to realize is if Jesus is not beneath me, I have no fellowship with Jesus. 
He is my Savior and then my Lord. He is Lord of Lords. I mean, he cannot lose his identity. He is the King of Kings. He is the God of gods, the eternal Son. That all of those things are true, but I have no fellowship with him or with the Father or presence of the Spirit if he does not serve me. And that is upside down, but that is how it is. And Jesus is turning that rise above, that competition for place, upside down on purpose. It is actually upside down from what we were designed to be. We're designed to walk in fellowship with God and exhibit that in our relationships with others. Dependence upon him that provides for our love for someone else. If we are not reconciled to God in Christ, we are always going to be lording, competing, fighting, alienating, and the devil's party will continue. And the world is in a place these days, it seems to me, where there's a lot of people expressing themselves and nobody's listening. I would encourage you not to be on the side of alienation. Think about what you can do, even if it involves, maybe especially if it involves you, stepping down. If we humble ourselves, we're moving toward Christ. And if we're the people who exhibit that, people will take advantage of us. They will. And to that I hear Jesus saying, well, that's what they did to me. Why would you think you'd be any different? There's two things here. First, recognize the service of Christ to you. That is first of all. The death of Christ, Jesus, down, down, and down, is the thing that saves you and me and everyone else that's saved. It is what reconciles us to God. He comes low enough to get me. And that means if I'm looking down on someone, I'm also looking down on him. Knowing Christ, I can only look over at people. So this has a transforming effect on me, or should. And the extent to which I understand it and trust it, it will have its transforming effect. And that is the effect of humility and service and love and grace. And someone does me wrong and I let it go. 
and someone exalts himself above me and I cooperate, even though he doesn't really deserve it. It's nonsense, I know. It is the Jesus nonsense. And it is the reconciling nonsense. And when someone speaks and they say something I don't like, I don't just react to it. I try to understand where it came from and why they would say such a foolish thing. And I extend understanding. I don't just reject it because I already disagree with it. I extend grace because I have been dealt with by the living God with grace. If I try to do it without relying on him first, well, I know how far that's going to go. About this far. I encourage you to take a side. The side I encourage you to take is the side of grace, love, understanding, service, humility, and to take a side against alienation, rejection. Denial. I think I've said that enough times now. Well, probably not. Let us follow Jesus. Let us humble ourselves. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, it's hard to wrap our heads around Jesus and his outrageous behavior. Lord, we've come to know that it is the thing that saves us. So we ask for the strength we need, Father, to, to follow. Because we know we need strength. Lord, we thank you for the foot-washing service of our Savior who humbled himself in order to lift us up. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.